Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast. Are you as surprised to hear from me as I am surprised to bring it to you? Look, this is a historic occasion. For the first time in, I gotta guess, at least five years, maybe longer, Smart People Podcast is back to weekly episodes. And I want to know if you're glad about that. Do you have enough time to listen to us every week? Let me know. Smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Weekly episodes are just the first step in our rebirth. Next, we should be moving into more video content, better social, additional episodes for Patreon supporters, and more. So thanks for your support over the years. Let's see how this weekly thing works out. And we are going to kick off this new future with a topic that's not only near and dear to my heart, but many of you. And that's the idea of companies putting purpose on the same plane as profit. We are interviewing Ranjay Gulati on his new book called Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performing Companies. In essence, in this episode, what I'm trying to do is get past the buzzwords and the marketing ploy to understand, is it possible that in a capitalistic society, we can weight purpose as much as shareholder value? 
Personally, I think we're going to have to do that, but I really feel like it's a stretch, and I wanted to talk to the expert. Ranjay is a professor and former unit head of the Organizational Behavior Unit at Harvard Business School. He holds a PhD from Harvard University, a master's degree in management from MIT, and two bachelor's degrees in computer science and economics from Washington State and St. Stephen's College. I have to laugh at some of the guests we have on here. Their CV and their educational background is like, I don't know whether to be glad that I get to talk to them or depressed that I will never come close to this, but that is what it is. Really great talking with him. He knows his stuff, and I enjoyed the conversation. Welcome back to weekly episodes. Reach out to us, smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us if you enjoy it. If you're happy, we're here. Let's get on to it. Our interview with Ranjay Gulati as we talk about his new book, Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High Performance Companies. Enjoy. Your book is specifically and purposefully titled Deep Purpose. What is the difference between your thesis, your beliefs, and the general idea of mission, vision, and values. So, Chris, I really wanted to call my book Purpose. I wanted a one-word title. You know, <laughs> I am a big fan of one-word titles. I've seen a lot of books out there, Quiet, Grit, you know. So, there's all these one-word titles, you know. So, I wanted a one-word title, and I was all set to do Purpose. And then, unfortunately, as I got into my research, I found a lot of companies talking about purpose, but really not practicing purpose, if I may say so, or practicing what I would like to call superficial purpose. And so this kept me really, it was a little frustrating, but it was also eye-opening. And then I had to build a taxonomy of superficial purpose also. And that's why the book is called Deep Purpose, because I found only a few that were really taking purpose seriously. The other part of reason for deep purpose is People confuse purpose with a purpose statement. And I wanted to go much further, at least the companies I saw were going much further than a purpose statement. What is the most obvious difference between a company that has a purpose statement and a company that believes in deep purpose? So look, having a purpose statement is convenient. You need it. If you're going to be a deep purpose, it's nice to have a purpose statement to clarify what you stand for and believe in. Though I did find a few that didn't have one, but was still what I would call deep purpose. So if you think about the idea of purpose, deep purpose companies understood that having a purpose, which is a reason for being, right? So let's clarify what does the word purpose you know, really mean right, is in, in, in what it actually then implies. And then let's get to kind of what, how these companies use it. So very simply, what is purpose? The psychologists understand this very well for individuals. And I like the definition of William Damon a lot. William Damon defined purpose as a stable and generalized intention to accomplish something that is at the same time meaningful to the self and consequential for the world beyond the self. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So, so suddenly now you're saying I'm doing something that is meaningful to me and is consequential for the world beyond me. And, and so that suddenly is clear for individuals. Now the question is, what does it mean for organizations? How does this idea translate for organizations? I think is 
In the organizational context, I think, first of all, purpose is like a compass. And by the way, it was agonizing to find an image for purpose for my book. And I chose compass because purpose, just like compass is for ancient mariners, in stormy waters provides clarity of direction. When we ask the why question, it forces us to think about where we're going. And maybe even how we're going to get there. Right? So the why question is a very powerful kind of forcing mechanism to do that. That was one part of it. So how deep purpose companies use their purpose, uh, lean into their purpose as for strategy making. Lego is a great example of that. When Jörn Vignutstrup took over Lego, which was nearly bankrupt, he said, let me think about the purpose of why did we get to, why was this company in the, here in the first place? And realized they were in theme parks and software and clothing. And said, we got to get out of that. That's not who we are. So purpose is kind of compass, directional clarity. The second part I found, which I hadn't understood, was purpose is an operating system. It's a way of organizing and being for your employees, for your customers, for your community and stakeholders. That was the other piece of purpose. You know, what just jumped out to me is using your purpose to simplify operations as much as complicate them. For Lego, I've got two little boys, six and three. Their favorite thing on the planet is Legos. So when you said that, I'm going, yeah, what an excellent company to work for. What an obvious purpose. But to your point, it's not always so obvious when you're the one running it because you're pressured into thinking about how do we grow? How do we expand? How do we increase reach? And without that North Star, without that compass, it's very easy to stray from the ultimate goal. So, you know, I think... We're all very busy people. There's a reason why most of us haven't thought about our own life purpose. And the same is true for organizations because we're very busy with the what and the how question. What am I doing today? What am I doing this month? What am I doing this year? How am I going to get it done? Right? How am I going to achieve my goals? So we're very caught up in the what and how of our lives as our companies. What is, you know, what's our strategy? What products are we going to sell? Which markets are we going to sell them in? At what price are we going to sell them in? How are we going to get it done? What capabilities do we need? What employees do we want to hire? Get the job done. And a lot of us are fine. A lot of businesses are successful doing the what and the how, right? In a very disciplined way. The why question seems kind of academic, to be honest. For many people, push back. Even for me, Chris, five years ago, if you told me I was writing a book about purpose, I would have said, you're crazy. Not a chance. This is such an existential intellectual question, but I discovered this. Again, I go back to Lego since you mentioned Lego. So the CEO of Lego said to me, he said, if you want to transform, not just turn around a company, you need to find the essence. Just like finding your purpose in life, it's not up to you, not up to management to decide it. It's not a rational choice. You don't decide what your calling is. You detect it. And so he went back into the past founding of Lego almost 100 years earlier. He looked at the company archives, talked to family members. They even bought the original house of the founder and made a museum out of it. And they really said, now here's the thing is, you're not trying to recreate the past. You're trying to be inspired by the past, to imagine the future. You're not trying to say, let's go back and be Lego, the founding company. No, it's about saying, what did we begin? Why did we get started? And the why question does several things for you. Why is a forcing mechanism to think about the future, right? 
It yeah, gets you to imagine what future you may have. It forces you to think long term. So this why question is inherently kind of uh, aspirational. It gets you to think about that. And I found deep purpose companies, when they went down this path, they actually did a couple of things really well. Because it's not a purpose statement. Again, I want to just repeat. People get fixated on purpose statements. What, the, what a why question does is, it becomes a unifying ideal of the commercial and social value you want to profitably create in this world for all your stakeholders. So it forces you to think long term. It forces you to think about goals. Let's be very clear. But it also forces you to think about your duties and responsibilities because when you're thinking long term, you recognize, and today's day and age, it's even necessary for survival. It's not just altruism. So you're being forced to imagine what are my duties in society, right? What are my goals or what I want to accomplish? Who are the stakeholders I need to serve? And how do I do this in the short and long term? So why is a very liberating question that can energize and activate you? One of the primary reasons I wanted to talk to you is to remove my own biases based on experience and oftentimes bad experiences, which is... I still struggle to understand in a hyper-capitalistic society, which I believe is America, over pretty much every other developed country in the world, how can we truly say these companies are executing with deep purpose when it feels that they will always put profit above anything and then try to justify those ends by the means? So, you know... Chris, it's a great question, but I'll tell you what's implicit in your question. First of all, the word purpose has been hijacked. On the one extreme are those who say purpose is shareholder value. They're very clear about that. That's, that's Milton Friedman, whatever you want to go. Right. Purpose is shareholder value. Come on. The shareholders own the company. They risked their money and loaned it to you. There's merit to what they're saying, by the way, because shareholders are not rich people. We imagine shareholders, pen, uh, shareholders are pension money retirement money, endowment money, right? There's a lot of money in there that it belongs to people who are relying on, expecting to live off of it. So, you know, we got to think there's nothing, you can't dismiss that. The other extreme becomes, oh, purpose is only about anything but profit. Purpose is social. So, you know, we have the, let's take the economic as given, purpose is anything but economic. And, the reality is businesses have to do both. In today's day and age, given the expectations of your employees, of your customers, of your stakeholders, of society, of government, you have to be able to clearly articulate how you are creating value for all these disparate stakeholders, if you may call it that. But we fall into this trap saying, oh, stakeholder capitalism is woke. So we throw out these Label derogatory labels, vilify one side or the other. And I think if you talk to leaders of companies, and then they say, oh, purpose is win-win. Another cliche. Right. Well, unfortunately, life is not all win-win. And I just finished an article in the Harvard Business Review which talks about purposes, the messiness of purpose. Purposes are making very hard trade-offs and choices. How do you think of that? Hey, everybody. Chris here. Quick break. It's no coincidence that we're talking about companies that believe in purpose this episode and 
Our sponsor is a company that exemplifies this perhaps more than any company I personally have ever seen, talked to, or bought from. Our sponsor is Cape Clasp. And to cut to the chase, in case you didn't hear it last time, one of the things they do is make incredible polarized sunglasses out of ocean plastics. They're incredibly light. They're super flexible. They're comfortable, polarized, as good a quality as $100 pairs I've had in the past. And they're less than $35. But it's using ocean plastics. Think about that innovation. And sunglasses isn't all they do. They use eco-friendly materials to create jewelry, sunglasses, and clothing that reflect and give back to organizations you care about, like the National Park Foundation and Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. Let's blow them up. Let's finally show the world that when you do good and make good products, that's how you succeed. Go to capeclasp.com and use the code SMART for 30% off your first order. The website is C-A-P-E-C-L-A-S-P dot com. Use the code SMART. You'll get 30% off, save the planet, get cool sunglasses, get ready for the spring and summer. Capeclasp.com. Use code SMART, 30% off your first order. Back to the show. Do you find companies who are able to, at times, sacrifice the profit motive for the purpose motive, hopefully and oftentimes with a long-term view, but not always. Meaning, do you see a world where we can live in where we might put purpose at the same level and companies will say, yes, we could make more money doing that, but it also will negatively impact the world we live in, the world my children will grow up in. Because I just think when push comes to shove, they'll say it until, they, until it's bottom line. So, Chris, let's be very clear. The problem is that the question you're asking is who's first among all equals? If Ah. you say there are all these different people at stake, who's first? And you're saying shareholders come first. Right? You know, in the end of the day, you'll do a song and dance, but you're going to serve your shareholders. And, you know, if you look around, you can't argue with that in some way. You know, shareholders have to be served. It's not an either or, though. Right, And you can't say, okay, I'm doing shareholders at the expense of others. But you can't go the other way either. I'm serving everybody else at the expense of shareholders. right? And so it's this, I call it the razor's edge in my book. How do you walk the razor's edge? There's no easy answer. But when you have clarity of purpose, you can communicate this. I'll give you an example. Maybe that'll clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wrote a case on and, and included in my book a company called Etsy. So, you know, Etsy is uh, the craft e-commerce company, publicly traded. Etsy began with a beautiful ideal. The founder, you know, was a carpenter and he wanted to sell his crafts in a place where he wouldn't get gouged for fees. And so he realized that there were other craft people in the world who wanted to do that. And so he built this website and this thing took off. At one point, it outgrew him and his capabilities. So they had a professional CEO. They even went public. And all along, they had this idea that we're not here to make money per se, as much as serve the sellers and do it in a way that works for them. Now, they IPO, the company's making no money. And mind you, in an environment where money or profit is not a metric, then what starts to happen is kind of sometimes I would say not so disciplined thinking. 
right? So what's happening is they're spending money on marketing and on their SGNA, it's growing like this and sales are flat. And they're blaming the market saying this market is saturated, there is no more growth, but we're spending more, we're hiring more and we're losing money. Shareholders, I'm sorry about that, but we told you we're never going to make money anyway, so we are busy, right? So at some point, this doesn't work, right? At some point, the shareholders are going to say, this is enough. You can't do that. And then they keep saying, we're doing social projects. Employees work on any social project, so they have all these projects going on, and no one knows who's doing what and how much impact they're having. So I'm caricaturing the story here. I'm not saying every socially oriented company is like that, but I'm just telling you the story of this one company. So they get a new CEO, and he immediately says, you know, we, we have too many people for the revenues we have. We've hired up to, we've gone too far. We're not going to be profitable and we're never going to have any resources. So we got to like right size, if you will. Everyone goes crazy, right? Saying how bad he is. Oh, right? I see. Yeah. And then he says that, he says, look, all our social projects, there's no aggregation, coalescing, no strategy. We're going to do three social things. Number one. We're going to focus on our carbon footprint. Number two, we're going to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, measurably. Number three, we're going to focus on the economic impact we deliver for our sellers, measurably. Everything else off the table. So all employees with any other ideas, stop. Now, over the next couple of years, you build a company that is delivering on for your shareholders and delivering for your stakeholders around these three key areas. Now, you see what I'm saying over here I that, do. you know, it's not yeah. saying let's go social only, let's go profit only. He, you have to recognize it. Businesses have to serve shareholders as much as they have to serve stakeholders. It's an and proposition, not an or. And leaders need to understand that if they go too far in one direction or the other, that's problematic. And that's why I call it the razor's edge and, and short term and long term. So people say, oh, I'm doing purpose, so I don't deliver short-term anything. You know, leave me alone. I'm busy with my long-term. You know, one of the things you said really stuck with me, and I've never thought of it this way. You talked about shareholders not being this rich conglomerate of world leaders, but instead the average person's pension. So, for example, my wife's a teacher, right? So they bulk it together. A company goes and invests it. They could be invested in these companies. But here's what I'm wondering. So for as long as I've been alive and, and known this, let's say past 30 or so years, I feel like the general mentality in America, especially as it relates to our companies, is the customer's always right. So if you look at things like Amazon, right, constantly adapting to better serve the customer. And companies are making more money than ever before. Look at the stock market, look at margins, look at all of this stuff. It makes me wonder, is it all at the expense of the employee? Because if I am a teacher right now and I want my retirement to earn good returns, so I want the company I'm investing in to, to operate extremely efficiently, but the place I work I'm complaining because they're trying to work too efficiently. Are we sacrificing our daily jobs for the return we expect elsewhere? Uh, excellent question, Chris. And you're really connecting the dots over here. So I, I see what you're trying to say that maybe collectively we're all pushing each other's firms to deliver returns for our retirement accounts. 
and our own firm is owned by somebody else and so we are doing what we are yes. expecting others to be doing and we have yeah. a collective problem. Yes. It's a very interesting question. So I think first I want to clarify to you what I discovered. Purpose and profit can go together because purpose actually energizes company. So I have talked so far about how purpose gives you direction, right? There are three other ways in which purpose can actually make you more profitable. And this is another kind of myth I had to overcome that people confuse purpose as extractive, a tax on business. But I found that purpose is generative. Purpose actually expands the proverbial pie. How does it do that? There are three ways. First, motivational. There's data from a study done in 2015 in the Harvard Business Review showing that inspired workers are 2.2 times as productive as satisfied workers. Not even, I'm not even doing dissatisfied. Look at the productivity you get out of people who feel inspired to come to work. That's the first. The second one is reputational. We also are learning, there's plenty of data out there now showing that customers trust companies more who they feel have a purpose that is expand is bigger than just making profit. So I'm more loyal to those companies. I buy more of their product because I believe they are virtuous, they're good. So branding. So second one is customer loyalty. The third one is interesting and the most nuanced of all, where I found that deep purpose companies use their purpose as a platform to connect more deeply with their suppliers, with their ecosystem partners, with even other stakeholders, community activists, and governments. But they connect with them through the lens of their purpose, which allows them to have more trustworthy and more fruitful relationships that are not antagonistic. So I think this, you know, everyone, people have been trying to correlate purpose and performance, but they can't because how do you measure a company purpose? And people are trying to do that. Right. But I think the other part of this is to understand how. So that's, for me, as I look at a deep purpose company, and I ask them, I would ask them, so how much of your purposeness costs, how much does it cost you? And, and I will tell you, there's a quote from a, a gentleman named Thomas Toon Anderson. He's the chairman of uh, uh, Orsted, which is a you know, green energy company in Denmark, one of the largest in the world. And he said, I pity those, his, I quote him, I pity those who think of purpose coming at the expense of performance. So just ponder that for a second. Look, given what I do, when I sit in rooms with leaders and talk about this, I, I believe in it or I want to believe in it. I just think I'm more continually disappointed than not. And that's why I want to talk to you because you have seen the flip side. You've seen the positive. So let's let's go through it like this because I believe you, right? And, and Chris, I'm with you. Yeah. Five years ago, I was a purpose skeptic. Right. So I thought of purpose as a wallpaper and companies engage in what we call purpose washing, there's a lot of reasons to be cynical and skeptical because they put out a purpose statement. When Facebook was in trouble in 2016, what did they do? They pulled out, and when they were going to have congressional hearings about them, they pulled out a purpose statement. Oh, uh, guess what? 
You know what Theranos' purpose statement was? <laughs> to facilitate the early detection and prevention of disease and empower people everywhere to live their best possible lives. Uh, Purdue Pharmaceutical has one. Facebook, Enron, all these companies have one. Mm. So you start to see what's going on here. That's a good point. How did you, in your book, differentiate between companies who you would consider falling into the deep purpose? I looked at two broad facets. One was using, having a purpose, which encompassed an understanding of your goals and your duties. So goals could be economic value and social value, but understanding your goals and your duties with had a long horizon to it. And then use, that's one thing. But as Satya Nadella told me, having a purpose statement is easy. What comes next is much harder. Right? So then how do you use that as a compass to make decisions? How do you bake that into your organizational DNA as an operating system? And I have to admit, Chris, I didn't find a lot of companies doing it. Okay, yeah. So you're right in saying, I look around and I don't see many of it, and I didn't see many of it either. And I, but I did go further than what everyone does. Everyone loves to talk about two, three companies. They all love to talk about Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia, yes. and maybe Unilever, Yes, right? Yes. And sometimes even they'll talk about, you know, Nestle and Danone. <laughs> maybe. So I'm like, I said, I got to go beyond these. Are there anybody else? Or is there only just a quirky thing of five, six companies in the world? And so that's what really got me going with this research project. What you said there is one of my favorite things, which is I didn't find as many as I hoped. But I found some because what what I think then this changes my interpretation is you found that the business case is there to be made and also eloquently stated how deep purpose is an imperative for the future of business. And I fundamentally agree with you as Gen Z starts to become more of the working workforce, as millennials start to take on senior leadership roles as they already are and being a late millennial myself. I think that the paradigm has shifted, that there's too much questioning of why am I dedicating so much of my life to a company whose sole goal is to create profit. And so you're saying not only is it necessary, but it is also helpful. Let me highlight this to you, Mr. or Mrs. CEO, in hopes that this becomes the future, not that it is the majority of the present. Is that fair? That's fair. And I will just add one thing more to that, Chris, uh, is that I saw a lot of this happening in smaller companies. Hey, smart people. Quick break. And I want to ask you a question. Are you feeding your brain? And I don't mean with this podcast. Of course you are. But with all the science we have available to us today, there is no reason you should be sluggish or relying on multiple cups of caffeine. I want to introduce you to a supplement brand that's sponsoring the show that I found and believe in for a few reasons. This sponsor is called Natural Stacks. And specifically, I want to talk to you about their NeuroFuel supplement. And what NeuroFuel does is it provides your body the natural ingredients it needs to fuel a process known as long-term potentiation, LTP. Many experts regard LTP as the key to learning new things and retaining information. So if you've ever listened to our episodes and you go, oh, I hope I can remember that, check this out. Some of the reasons I want to partner with Natural Stacks in general is, first of all, their company mission is simple, better brain, better life. 
Perhaps most importantly, there is 100% ingredient traceability, third-party lab testing, and full-label disclosure on every bottle. I believe you should know where your products come from. So do they. And especially when it comes to supplements, it's so important. With NeuroFuel, you can experience enhanced focus, increased motivation, deep concentration, improved memory and alertness. And again, you do it without caffeine and with all natural ingredients. And I saved the best for last. They're going big for this partnership with Smart People Podcast. And you can get 50% off NeuroFuel by just going to naturalstacks.com slash smart people. So again, get 50% off of NeuroFuel by going to naturalstacks.com slash smart people. So go fuel up that brain and let's get back to the episode. Ah, yes. Okay. This is where I want to go with you. Sorry, I just jumped in. I get super excited about this. Let's say I'm a large company. I hire you and I say, look, Ranjay, I run the equivalent of an Amazon or a Microsoft or a Facebook or whatever. And I want to do this. Okay, look, I can't sacrifice a lot of shareholder value, but I really want to fundamentally change it. How do you start to think through that? So let's separate out the large and the small. Okay, I think in, in small companies, the dilemma is not everyone starts with a purpose. Uh, many do, and the purpose is framed usually in kind of commercial terms, like we want to change this market, we want to change the way customers do this and that and the other. In their case, the concern is the loss of purpose as the founder leaves and the company grows and the scaling problem, what I call purpose decay, right? So that's a different problem and we can talk about that. Look at large companies. As you heard me say earlier about the Lego CEO, you don't invent a purpose, you detect a purpose. So I looked at an Indian company, Mahindra, which has been around for 100 years, and this is the third, I think, second or third generation running it. And Anand Mahindra said, like, they had a purpose statement when they started. In fact, Anand wrote another one in the early 2000s. But he felt that he needed a new purpose that would stick. And by now, the company is much bigger. They have different businesses that are in different businesses altogether. But he did it bottom up he started a process to really have interviewing people in the company to understand what makes Mahindra different. And through that coming up, distilling that into a statement, if you will, you may call it a one-liner, but that and also a set of principles. So first you've got to craft what it is that you believe in, detecting, discovering, un undercover, under, un un undiscovering it. You then have to communicate it. You can't communicate this in an email. You know, it's about a grand story. How do you tell the story to your people? That's also not enough. I then discovered that most companies, these deep purpose companies, would try to make purpose personal. How do you make it real for somebody way down the organization? And many of them were actually helping employees to think about their personal purpose because they said, when somebody's thinking about their own purpose, then they'll connect to company purpose more. You can't just say, here's my slogan, memorize it and everybody come excited. Let's sing songs around our purpose together. So they said, no, we want, and KPMG did something where they had every employee write on a piece of paper, why do I come to work? And they had to put it on the wall. So they would start this process of engaging with the conversation about your purpose and the company purpose, but that's not enough. Then you get to the wiring. How are we going to measure it? How are we going to reward it? 
how we're going to change the way we decentralize things now in a deep purpose company. Are we going to push autonomy down? How do we encourage collaboration across silos? How do we connect it to our customer value proposition? So that is the linking it to our culture. So that's the messy part and the second half of my book because the how getting purpose into the organization baked in was much harder than I need a purpose statement, help me find one. Okay, help me communicate it. Those are not easy either, by the way. I'd love to discuss what are some of the hows. I, I don't think we have a ton of Fortune 500 CEOs listening, but we do have founders, the smaller companies. But assuming it's a large company or it's somebody like myself who works with leaders at large companies, where are some of the places they could start to actually execute on the how to start making this aspiration of deep purpose a reality? So let's be very clear. First of all is how do you message it into the organization, right? How do you back up the messaging with real action? So one of the, you mentioned small companies. One of the companies I looked at is a fast growth company called Livongo. And it was for diabetics. And in Livongo, they not only messaged what their purpose was, that, you know, we're here to serve people with diabetes, not even diabetics. The language they use is very clear, people with diabetes. But they also, because you don't define a purpose person by their disease. Diabetes is the only disease people seem to refer to them by their disease. Oh, you're a diabetic. Right. Right. So the language they use. But then they said, we're going to do a couple of choices. We're going to actually provide free strips that they use for testing their blood sugar. It's very hard. You have to buy them. We're going to make it available. We don't want someone to be rationing strips. So we want our subscribers to feel safe and comfortable that they can have these. Right? We're going to understand how we're going to provide greater service to them. So you're looking for symbolic action. And everybody understands. I get it. This, that our leadership is serious about this thing. Beyond that, you know, you're trying to, people use the word cascade. This is kind of a common, I myself have used that word oh, yeah. many, many a time. I think cascade is the wrong word. You know, you're trying to connect people to the purpose. So, you know, you're trying to make them understand what the purpose is. And then their job is to translate it into how they're going to use it in their daily life. You can't tell them saying, my purpose is this now from everybody. I want a job description from you about linking it to cascading means here's our overall deliverable. Now, everybody give me their deliverable. I'll give you an example. People like to use uh, this is a study done by professors at University of Michigan and Yale. And they looked at people's orientation to work in a hospital. And they wanted to see people's orientation from all the, from the doctors down to the janitors. Now, they had three classifications of how we thought about work. First, some people think of their work as a job. I come here to make money. It's an economic exchange. Second, my work is a career. I'm trying to get ahead. I want to move up the chain. I have an ambition one day to be on the top. And the third one is my work as a calling. I do it because it gives me meaning. Now, of course, you want to get paid. These are not mutually exclusive. Sure. You want all three. But all of us have a primary kind of orientation, right? What's my main kind of feeling? Now, they found the doctor number didn't surprise them. It came in as one-third, 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 which is fine. One-third calling, one-third. Wait, 
So for doctors, one third calling, one third career, one third uh, job. Job. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Now I would love to see the data more carefully myself to sure. see if it's by age. Is it by, you know, time being how long you've been a doctor, what specialty you're in, whatever. Sure. But the number that really threw them off was the janitor number. That came in one-third, one-third, one-third as well. Now, they were saying, who are these janitors who are saying my work is a calling? Right. And when they talked to them, they said, oh, I, I, I don't come here to clean. I come here to help people. I, I'm really lucky. I get to help and I get to, when I help, people are so grateful. I feel I'm making a difference. Now, this research is called job crafting. Now, no one is cascading this in the organization. It is happening. Now, if we connect people to their purpose, their own life purpose, and somehow connect it to an organization's purpose, you create the possibility for translation like this to happen. Wow. That was goosebumps. That was goosebumps. And I'll tell you why. I think about what I do, what you do, and it's so much about mindset. I think it just highlights two things. A company can create an environment in which you are freed up to, to utilize your mindset and autonomy to decide why you're there. And so many people over the course of my career, I've seen they, they have decided that they are there because it's a job and their actions will reflect that. But what you're saying is think about this. Almost everyone listening can decide if they're doing what they're doing for a reason that they enjoy, can they bring that mentality to work? I mean, look, and to your point, you're saying companies just create the environment and the, the why, the North Star, to let people bring that part of themselves to work. I think the great resignation is a testimony to where we have reached as a you know, society, as business organizations. You know, it really shows us where we have failed. And people even now are calling it the great upgrade and saying, oh, people want more money. Uh, yes, they do. There are certain occupations which are paying below living wages that should be upgraded. And most of us want to get paid more. That's fine. But is that the real root cause going on between the retirement and the leaving the workforce? I think we have what I call the great rethink going on. I think there is a meaning crisis in the world. And organizations, we have failed people because we have this work-life balance, work and life. Think about it. That phrase alone tells you a lot about how we think about things, work-life. And we've created this false dichotomy and people want to live more coherent lives. We've been home for the last two years. We've confronted death. We've confronted illness. We've spent a lot more time with ourselves and our family. And we are thinking differently about what it is that I want. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I think all of us should expect more from our lives and from the places we choose to work. It's just such an eloquent way to put it. Well, Ranjay, I could talk to you for hours. I know I don't have you for hours, but the good news is you go into much greater detail in your book, uh, brand new book. So Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High Performance Companies. And again, the reason I enjoyed it and the reason I wanted to talk to you is because this is a really tough subject. And showing those that have made it work 
whether small companies or large companies, and holding them up as a hopeful beacon for the future and some making it happen now, uh, I hope will create a, a place that I want to work, a, a place that I want my kids want to work, and just a more connected, like you said, work life together. So I appreciate it. Ranjay, where can we find you? Where are you? Are you on, are you on social? I am very active on social. Uh, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn with my name, Ranjay Gulati. You can also find uh, more information about a whole bunch of talks like this that I'm doing on the website for the book called deeppurpose.net. And, and you can also look me up on ranjegulati.com. But social, n- n- LinkedIn is probably the easiest and quickest way to find me. Okay. And I, my goal here is to expand the conversation. So you're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn um, and or connect with me on the website for the book. I love it. Chris, I want to thank you. It's been really enjoyable talking to you. So thank you for the inviting me to join you. Absolutely. And we will link to all of that on the website so people can find it. Because look, we're creating the world we want to work in. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Ranjay. This week's episode featured our guest, Ranjay Gulati. Ranjay's book is Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performance Companies. The episode was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and edited by yours truly, John Rojas. And if you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. You can find us wherever you download your podcasts. And of course, if you enjoy the show and want to support us, you can always head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. And I always tell you to stay tuned, but now you've got to stay tuned weekly because we've moved back to weekly episodes. So we hope you enjoy. We hope you stay tuned. And we'll see you all next episode. Mm -hmm.